0: Welcome back to the Investing on the Go podcast brought to you by Funcalibur. Today, we're focusing on company-specific factors such as competitive advantages and long-term growth potential, highlighting a few household names such as Apple and Pepsi. I'm Stacey West, and today I'm joined by David Dudding and Alex Lee, co-managers of the CT Global Focus Fund. David, Alex, thanks very much for joining me this morning. Thanks for having us. So I want to start with the bigger picture. Um, Is there a Growing optimism in the global economy. What are companies kind of saying to you guys on the ground for the outlook for the next one to two years, maybe?
1: I think it really varies region by region. Um, so I think we've all been surprised a little bit um, by how strong the U.S. economy has been in the face of um, you know some very significant interest rate increases over the past. Year, 18 months. Um, and so, you know, the US economy has been going absolutely gangbusters. So I don't think the economy there is probably improving. Um, you know, it has to start slowing down at, at, at some point. But I think at least people are optimistic that there's not going to be a recession um, and that, you know, it's sort of mythical. Uh, hopefully, not mythical. Soft landing um, is, is going to be reached. So, um, you know that, that's a, a fantastic scenario. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it necessarily means that things are improving. It means they're likely to um, not be as bad as 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 know, once been feared. If we turn to other parts of the world, I mean, China obviously, economic growth has been slowing fairly fairly quickly. Um and I think there are uh, more concerns there about about what the economy is doing and whether the government is going to um stimulate or stimulate enough and, and indeed what it can do and similarly europe' uh pretty lackluster uh, I, I, I i think um you know some economies probably in recession right now um so yes it may get a little bit better um but again a lot depends on sort of oil and gas prices looks like we're heading into another winter of war in the ukraine um and um uh, you know so i'd say the outlook is uh has has quite possibly bottomed but it's fairly muted
2: um nonetheless i don't know um i guess as you mentioned Trends are different region by region. And then if we're speaking to companies as well, trends are different sector by sector. And even within sectors, trends are different. So um, I guess if we if we take industrials, for example, if we look at areas like construction machinery, the environment's been very strong, maybe stronger than many people had expected for longer. Um, and earnings of these companies continue to be pretty, pretty good. And kind of we've spoken to some companies recently, and they remain optimistic on the outlook. Um, but if we speak to factory automation companies within the industrial sector, there are definitely clear signs that the environment has been slowing. I guess, again, related to China, the Chinese economy has been quite weak. Um, but the Chinese, uh, a lot of, there was a huge amount of investment in EVs, for example, in China over the last couple of years. And suddenly, um, investment there has, has definitely taken a, taken a tumble and that's hurt some of the automation companies um other areas like semiconductors semiconductor kind of um earnings in that sector have been been weak for the last year or so um and that's having a knock-on impact to the automation companies so yeah within sectors i think there are sometimes people would look at the industrial sector and and um often many kind of subsectors would be be quite correlated and we have seen some kind of uh some of those correlations break down so it's really important to look at look at the world not just from a top-down view but really understand what's going on from a kind of a sub-sector level uh, uh, and a company-specific level
0: is that how you approach this fund then more on a sector subsector level than perhaps a regional outlook
1: i'd say we're very bottom-up um and you, you, you know there are Couple of things worth sort of highlighting around that. So, um, it, it, but basically, we obviously pay a little bit of attention to the macro, particularly if you're investing in something like a bank. Um, then you know that is obviously um, very tied up with a with a local economy. Um, so it's false to say that we don't spend any time. Uh, looking at the macro, um, but basically we try and spend as little time as possible, and that may sound a bit sort of um, flip, um, but uh, basically we'd rather know. Um, we'd rather be owning companies that, if not in control of their own destinies, at least are beneficiaries of long-term trends. And as long as the long-term trends are okay then um, we're prepared to weather um, some short-term you know, turbulence if economy slow etc cetera, etc cetera. so we're not sort of constantly changing ideas depending on our view of local or regional economies because our information is no better than anyone else's when it comes to um, you know predicting um, What's, what's going to happen in economies. And even if we did know, quite often we we, we get the results of those predictions wrong. So the, the best example of that came in 2016 where we didn't think Brexit would happen. The fund owned quite a few UK stocks and they all went up after Brexit. Um, so we did well out of Brexit despite not thinking it was going to happen. And then uh, we didn't think in Q4 of 2016 that um, you had the U.S. presidential elections. And we basically thought that Hillary Clinton would win. Um, so we got that completely wrong. Uh, but if you had told us that Donald Trump was going to win the elections, we would have said, oh, well, we've got a really well-positioned portfolio for that because it's sort of lots of good long-term <laughs> stories and basically the market's going to sell off very dramatically because um, it's not going to, it's not going to welcome the prospect of a Trump presidency. Uh, and exactly the opposite happened. So basically U S banks, construction companies, um, yeah, uh, companies that sort of would benefit from a a much stronger U S economy, um, did very, very well. Um, and that was basically ahead of uh, Donald Trump actually becoming president in the January of the, the, the following year. So Q4 2016, we got the advent. Of, we, we, we didn't know who was going to win the election. We got that wrong. And then we got the impact wrong as well. And so that basically proved to us that there's not much point in us doing all that sort of thing. And actually we're much better off trying to focus on long-term fundamentals of the businesses that we're investing
0: in. Well, let's talk about some of those businesses then. Um, you have taken some new positions recently in the fund in Apple, PepsiCo and CRH. What is it about these companies? Maybe if we can take them each in turn, what is it about them that you like? Is it uh, the company fundamentals? Is it these long-term trends that you're seeing? Give us a little bit more information.
1: Yeah. Well, if I, if I go through Apple and then, um, you know, uh, I mean, basically what we like about Apple is, well, it's probably the world's greatest brand, uh, at, at the moment. Uh, and you know, um, brand strength is one of the key things that, that we look for. It's, you know, we try and look at everything through a lens of competitive advantage. Um, and, um, you know, we, we, we think that, uh, there are sort of five sources of sustainable competitive advantage. One would be intangible assets, which includes sort of brands, patents, that sort of thing. And then you've got cost scale, uh, switching costs and the, and the network effect and Apple, um, you know, certainly has an incredibly strong brand. Um, but increasingly I think as well, um, and it is becoming the, the, surprisingly, I mean, it surprises a lot of people, but Apple is not the biggest handset company in the world in terms of volumes. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's about to to, to become the number one, uh, we think. It, it is by value um, because their phones charge, you know, sell for a, 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 a massive premium compared mm-hmm. to everyone else's. But what Apple's been incredibly successful at is really developing a whole ecosystem around phones uh, 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 effectively um, so as most people who have an Apple phone realize mm-hmm. it's quite hard to leave once you're once you're sort of uh, tied in um, and that's great because so more people and you know, there's still room for them to grow in markets like India um, but increasingly um, Products as well, but but a lot of the growth now is being driven by services. So consumption of sort of products based around um, the handset or the the wearable or whatever device it, it is, and that um, is a very very sticky revenue stream um, where the company has a lot of lot of pricing power uh, and and um, people tend not to switch out of the Apple ecosystem. in in, in, into that of someone else and that means that it's um it's relatively yes it's relatively a quite slow growing company um but it's very visible and sort of uh, uh very sustainable um growth and then you know this is a company that doesn't make too many acquisitions certainly not very very big ones um and so uh they basically return a lot of the the, the profits back to shareholders in the form of uh, buybacks in in, in in particular. So what we call the, the capital allocation, what they do with all the profitability uh, is very much in, in investors' favor.
0: I love that description of a ecosystem of Apple products and how difficult it is to get out once you're in. <laughs> that is very accurate. Um Alex, maybe if you can tell us a bit more about CRH and the appeal for that company.
2: Sure thing. Yeah, um, I guess Dave, as Dave mentioned, we we look for companies with competitive advantage. Um, we tend to be a, well. We're known for a, for being a, a quality fund, and often quality funds will look for simply companies with very high sustainable returns. But kind of we look at at quality more through a lens of. Um, competitive advantage um, and we're, we're happy to buy companies with maybe lower but but rising returns on capital. Um, and I think CRH ticks this box. So um, it's very difficult or that CRH has got very high barriers to entry in its in its industry. Um, it's it's very difficult or it's going to be very difficult to to build out new supply for, for cement going forward. Um, and so CRH operates in a an oligopoly, um, and so we, we think that the, the sustainability of its returns um, are very visible going forward. Um, the demand environment is being helped, especially in the US, by localization of supply chains. And again, um, we think that the demand growth could accelerate or could be stronger over the next decade than it has been over the last decade. Um, and another area where crh has got an advantage is in its um ability or its, its technology around recycling so increasingly um there are mandates for uh, production to be done or, or construction <coughs> to be completed using recycled materials um and crh is is ahead of the game here so i think that helps to set it apart from perhaps some of the smaller players that can't afford to invest in these areas so So all in all, yeah, we do see CRH, as a company where um, the returns can rise over time. This returns can be very uh, stable and and sustainable. Um, And we're also very focused on valuation. So um, we saw a lot of upside in the company when we started that position. Um, And yeah, it's done quite well so far, but yeah, we still still expect upside from here. I
0: was going to say, and Pepsi, what is it about Pepsi?
1: Again, it's the strength of the brands. So Pepsi has a drinks business, you know, and a good business. Um, uh, so many more brands other than just 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 the the, the original Pepsi. Um, things like Gatorade, uh, but it also has an incredible um, snacks business, particularly in the US, but also in Mexico. Um, so it's making basically so that that business is. Retail, like effectively, um, and these are incredibly strong brands, and that shows itself by tremendous amount of pricing power. Um, so, basically, just recently, when there's been a lot of inflation uh, in in the US and indeed worldwide, and input costs have gone up, packaging costs, fuel costs, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, they've been able to raise their 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 prices uh, on their products without really seeing. Much in the way of a deterioration of, of volumes, because the brand strength enables them to to, to do that. So, it's um snacks business is a particular highlight, at least uh, at least for us when it when it when it comes to Pepsi, and it just sort of shows the resilience of companies if they have uh, very very strong brand equity.
0: And this one also has a few positions in Japanese companies, an area that. Legendary investor Warren Buffett has topped up recently, and it was kind of in headlines again. So, do you see the weighting increasing in the future? What is it about Japanese companies, more in particular, that you like?
2: When it comes to Japan, as we explained earlier, we we don't really look at the world based on regions. So we look at the world based on kind of companies and where the great companies are, and we're very lucky working at Columbia Threadneedle where we have a huge amount of resource. So we have teams of people looking at every region. Um, So, you know, we have a very large team, including analysts looking at the US. We have teams looking at Europe, the UK, Asia, and we also have a team looking at Japan. So um, sitting on the global desk, we're very lucky whereby we're constantly being given great ideas from around the globe. Um, So we've always been looking in Japan and we've always felt that Japan has some very, very, Good companies, perhaps where Japan's been lacking over the years has been the companies have not always prioritized return on capital or had a, a particular focus on, on on return on capital. And as we mentioned, we do look for companies with high or rising returns on capital um, over recent years. I think the supported by better corporate governance or actually over the last decade or so. Um, There's been much more focus in Japan on return on capital and improving return on capital. Um, And I think we're restarting to see that today in the market, um, where you look at some of the action that's that's been happening in the market recently. Um, As we mentioned, we've we've been looking at Japan for a long time. Um, We've held positions in companies like Keyence um, for a great many years. Um, But we do think that perhaps there are companies now that might enter our universe, or perhaps the, the investment opportunities will increase because of this increased focus on return on capital, better governance, um, more focus on, or rising quality of, of some of the companies in, in the region. Um, but um, yeah, I, you mentioned Warren Buffett. So I think um, Warren Buffett invested in a number of large trading companies. We don't actually own the trading companies in, in the global focus funds. Um, the, the regional fund does own some of the trading companies. Um, and I think his his investment was seen as endorsement in that specific area. And those companies have performed very well since. Um, he's mentioned there might be other companies he's interested in in Japan. Um, but we're not going to, I guess, try and second guess what he's going to do. We're just going to look at um, where we see the opportunities are. And um, and yeah, I mean, I, I guess it's a it's a, a good boost for the region to, to see a famous investor like uh, Warren Buffett. Coming in, um, but but we've always looked at Japan, and, and we do see yeah a lot of opportunities there.
0: And you can also venture into emerging markets when you see opportunity. So, are you seeing opportunity? Or are you invested in any emerging market companies today in the fund?
1: Well, we've always been able to invest in emerging markets, and 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 we do. So uh, we have positions in Indian and Indonesian banks in particular, and those are both economies that we're very positive on over the next four or five years. Uh, um, I think what makes them stand out is that they've got population, very young populations. Um, So as as Japan has led the way in terms of the aging of the world's population and now China is uh, following on, uh, India and Indonesia are, are basically you know, very big countries, very big populations, but very young populations. And that means there's a lot of demand for things like, um, yeah, you know, the products that banks sell, et cetera, et cetera. But it means they're pretty dynamic economies and we think well-placed um, uh, are, are over the medium term. So we've always had some emerging market exposure. Um, but another thing that we do is get emerging market exposure via developed market companies that that have significant exposures there, um, so you know that's where a lot of uh, European consumer staples companies, for example, have very big presences in India or China. Uh, so uh, luxury goods companies obviously um, depend a lot on uh, the the Chinese consumer. So um, you know that's that's been something else that we've been been looking at for the past few years. So we have a lot of exposure to emerging markets, but it's not all via direct investment in emerging market companies.
0: Moving on then lastly to something that you had in a recent update, which was that investments in companies that tackle issues such as decarbonization and energy efficiency are creating a broad opportunity set. So can you give us an idea of what these opportunities are, what type of companies they are, and then if you're investing in any of them?
1: Well, I think this summer has sort of really highlighted the impact of climate change. We've seen sort of significant fires in Europe and natural disasters around the world. Um, So it's, you know, climate change is a theme that's not going away. Uh, So it's inevitable that that decarbonisation is going to throw up lots of opportunities um, so, you know, we we are very much sort of trying to take advantage of those and invest in companies that either sort of improve energy efficiency or, or actually can, you know, lower carbon emissions. Um, and that can take many shapes or forms, really. I mean, it, it could be sort of automation, automation, uh, just simply making things more efficient, uh, or it could be companies that make products that actually, you know, make a more efficient building. For example, like Schneider, uh, in, in in it's a it's a French company, uh, but basically uh, a lot of what they do is around making factories more efficient or, or buildings, particularly non-residential buildings, um, consume be, be more fuel efficient. Um, so there are a sort of myriad of ways in which we can tackle, tackle those themes. Uh, another big holding of ours would be an industrial gases company called Linda. Um, they're going to play quite a big role, we think, in terms of sort of themes like carbon capture and storage uh, or green hydrogen. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're a gases company, and so sort of they have to be part of that. That equation, as as we try and decarbonize the, the the
2: global economy. Yeah, I guess the opportunity set is very broad, and as as Dave mentioned, we do expect a lot of money to be put into this area and, and towards solving what is inevitably going to become a an increasing problem facing facing the world over the next decades. Um, but when we come back to it, ultimately we're going to look for the the companies where they can make a good return on capital and um, where they can differentiate themselves and where they have strong barriers to entry um, to, to find the winners in, in in terms of investing in this space. We don't want to invest in something because of a theme. Um, you know, it's just
1: um, we're, we're, we're looking at how each and every company is valued and what sort of returns we might be able to make out of it, but um, there are obviously probably some some underlying themes within the portfolio, which decarbonisation and energy efficiency is certainly right up there.
0: Well, David, Alex, thank you so much for joining me and talking through a number of different areas and companies as well within the funds. all very interesting to hear your views on them and really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. Thank you very much, Lucy. The CT Global Focus Fund is a concentrated, high conviction portfolio of best ideas with a clear quality growth bias. To learn more about the CT Global Focus Fund, visit fundcaliber.com, and don't forget to subscribe to the Investing on the Go podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts. Please remember, we've been discussing individual companies to bring investing to life for you. It's not a recommendation to buy or sell. The fund may or may not still hold these companies at the time of listening. Elite ratings are based on Fun Calibre's research methodology and are the opinion of Fun Calibre's research team only.